And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Aaron Bandler. Always a great time talking to Aaron. Uh, we covered quite a bit. Uh, we talked about uh, Governor Ron DeSantis signing the anti-grooming bill into law and the Democrats doubling down on their support of perversion and degeneracy. Uh, we talked about the, the wall-to-wall coverage by our media of the Russia-Ukraine war as they ignore um, terrorists um, killing civilians in Israel and, and the Saudis killing civilians in, in Yemen. Uh, we, we covered a, yacht, a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get to Aaron, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you're an iTunes user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the podcast and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Aaron Bandler. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Aaron Bandler. Aaron, how you been, man? Can't complain too much. How about you, Brady? Can't, I could, but I won't. I won't complain today. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah, there, there's enough stuff in the world to complain about, you know. The, the world is a scary place right now, and we don't have uh, many much good news to discuss today. So um, let's start with a little, a little football talk, shall we? Uh, we'll, yes. We'll get, to, we'll get to politics in a second. But, dude, the fantasy football draft this year is going to be a crapshoot. Like, I don't know what we're going to do because like half the NFL's superstars were traded already, like in the last yeah. three weeks. And it's like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like how, like how are we going to draft like quarterbacks, like Russ, Derek Carr, like Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Are they still like first round picks? It's like, what, how the heck are we going to view like as fantasy players? How the heck are we going to view all these people on their new teams? I don't know. I, I mean, who's going to be like every year? There's normally like a, a consensus number one overall pick in fantasy. Is the, is that going to be the case this year? It's got to be Cooper. It's got to be Cooper Cup, right? Well, okay, that's true. It's, it, it'll probably be Cooper Cup and one, and then maybe Debo Samuel too. Um, but beyond after that, it, it's it's going to be a crapshoot. You know, which often Taylor, I, I think, will probably be like maybe three. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it's 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 just wild. You know, like Tyreek Hill, they're going to try to use him as Debo. Like it's not going to be value there. But, you know, Tyreek Hill, I mean, as Tyreek Hill fantasy over the past couple of years, you know, Tyreek Hill gets in, it has a propensity of getting injured. So it's, and it's, if he's using a running back more, then it's, he's probably going to get hurt a lot more, too. You know, and Tua doesn't really throw the, Tua doesn't really throw the ball deep. No, he doesn't have an know? arm. Like he was, he was he, supposed to be like this big arm quarterback coming out of college, and he like has no arm. Exactly. Very strange. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, yes, yeah, it's, 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 so it certainly affects Tyreek's value to Monte Adams. Like, he'll still be, I suppose, still a first rounder, but Derek Carr can be sort of, um, uh, I, 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 I basically, Derek Carr can be very hot and cold, hot or cold. Um, so I, I would imagine Devontae Adams' value will fluctuate along with Derek Carr's, you know, um, consistency. And, 
Uh, although Russell Wilson, I think will probably is it, he's got his he has a lot of weapons there in Denver, so he's probably going to do well. Um, I, I don't so know. But how how would just, you draft? How would you draft any of those receivers in Denver? Like are we not? To- I, I mean, I, I I I not high, but just because there just because there's like five. You know, <laughs> Russell Wilson will probably spread the ball around, so you can't really rely on any any one of them. Yeah. Per se, you know, it's like you maybe draft one as a flex option, but I mean, he's like DK Metcalf. Like how how are you gonna draft him if he has like Drew Locke throwing him the ball or some rookie? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I, I wouldn't even touch those guys. You know? No, I would Tyler Lockett. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't touch those guys either. Well, well, you hate those guys anyway, but yeah, <laughs> you don't count. But it's like, dude, like Juju Smith Schuster. Like if he was with Pittsburgh with Mitch Trubisky, he'd be like a seventh round pick in fantasy. Is he like a second yeah. round pick? I mean, he could have like a hundred catches and fifteen hundred yards in Kansas City because he's their number one receiver. Is it? I mean, it's like, I, I, I where the heck would you draft him? You know what I mean? It's like not, I'm not second. I, no. I mean, that that big later round option is still available. I was like, you know, okay, this is just an interesting option I could use off the bench sometimes and see what it's it's more of a stash pick, right? You know, but I don't know. Someone might might you know any Chiefs fan. Uh, or, or 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 a Steelers fan who thinks still thinks fondly of Juju will get excited and draft him earlier. I don't know. Like it, it's gonna be all over the place. Yeah, it's gonna be weird, man. I mean, like we're all gonna draft guys and just look really stupid. <laughs> yeah, like <it's, laughs> that like, happens every who year. Knows, but, man. It's just like, but this year especially, yeah, for sure. It's just crazy, man. And like, dude, people are gonna draft freaking Deshaun Watson high, and he might not even play. You know, what I mean? like who knows? Like, yeah. I, I, like, is he gonna? He might be suspended six games or the whole year, or like, dude, who knows, man? <laughs> it's like there's yeah, no, that's true. yeah, there's just no way to. I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be fun though. It's gonna be fun. I mean, I don't have to worry about like. I mean, I I won the league last year, so I'll be drafting twelfth. So like, I'm not gonna get, <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not gonna get Devonte or like even Tyreek Hill probably won't even be there for me. Yeah. But like, man, who knows? It's weird. And so you, you're 49ers, man. Nobody wants. Yeah. Nobody wants your boy Jimmy. Nobody wants him. It's been very frustrating, uh, because one of the benefits about having a rookie quarterback like, like Lance that we get that rookie contract. So you know, it's you got to take advantage of that contract and sign all these guys, and go all in. But you can't do that when you're paying, you know, the backup quarterback twenty five million a year. Um, and so I think what happened was it sounds like, from what I understand, even before. Um, Jimmy had shoulder surgery. Like a lot of teams were kind of, there was no real offers made. Tonight is about Jimmy. It was like, okay, like, why don't you just like, check with us before you trade him? Um, and then once the shoulder surgery happened, teams were like, ooh, yeah. Um, because, I mean, in the day, Jimmy is, I mean, he's won a lot of games with, with the Niners. And, I mean, the, the, the record with Jimmy and without Jimmy is pretty stark. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, for the Niners. But at the end of the day, like he, he, he is a quarterback with shortcomings, which was very obvious in the answer championship game this past year, which I was at. Uh, and um, oh, I forgot and, and, you were and, there. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and even the Super Bowl a couple of years earlier. It's like you know, Jimmy's not. Jimmy is a good quarterback, but he is not a quarterback that's going to win you. Uh, that's going to win you a Super Bowl, and he's got an injury history, so. Yeah, you know, so it's so it's very easy to see why all these teams 
and you, when you add that with the shoulder surgery, it's very easy to see why teams are just like not interested, especially when you have to at that price tag. Um, and so, and the Niners seem to have uh, also they, they they seem to have a high value place on Jimmy though. Like apparently they're asking, they're asking prices two second round picks. That's <laughs> no one's going to give two. No, they're not going to get that. No. No. Um, so I, I, I think that while certainly these outside factors like the soldier surgery and then the Sean Watson being cleared legally, Matt Ryan becoming available, were all things that are out of their control. Um, the fact is that they, 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 they overplayed their hand and, and now they're sort of, they have to live, live, live with the results, just keeping Jimmy for now. It's gonna be weird, man. I mean, I, I, I convinced myself that I'm happy the Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky. So that's where I'm at in life. I just lied. I just lied to myself. I'm like, yeah, man, you could be, you could be good. <laughs> that yeah, that's a, yeah. Good luck with that one. I mean, you know, if if let's just hope T.J. Watt gets like 32 and a half sacks this year. You know, maybe maybe the defense. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, with a defense like that, I mean, you, it still don't need like you know Mahomes or Watson their quarterback. They just need someone competent. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how competent old old Mitchell is. <laughs> yeah. We'll find yeah. out, man. It's like, we'll find out just, 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 just how much Brian DeBull was able to, like, you know, like, revive uh, old Mitch's career, you know? I mean, in Mitch's defense, the Bears are just a trash franchise. Oh, they're awful. So it's like, you know, anybody will look bad playing for the Bears. And that coach yeah. they had, Nagy, is just a joke. You know what I mean? Like, that was just... Yeah, and, and the thing is that they're that they're new coach and GM. They they don't seem to be much better. Dude, I was talking to uh, I was talking football with uh, our boy JJ the other day. He was in town. Yeah, visiting, and uh, we're like, "Who's the best quarterback the Bears have ever had?" And I'm like, "Jay Cutler." I think that I, I'm like who was not like good, he... but like no. who else? I mean, even like McMahon in the '80s, like he wasn't like he was like an average quarterback. They just had the best defense of all time. You know what I mean? It's like who, like yeah, who, like Jay Cutler was he like the best quarterback, <laughs> or like Andy <laughs> Dalton? Like who's like the most oh, accomplished God, quarterback? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the most accomplished quarterback. I mean, it probably have to be Cutler. Yeah. I mean, of course, if the, the year they went to the Super Bowl, they lost because Rex Grossman had the worst <laughs> Super Bowl performance of any quarterback ever. He had to have know, been the have... worst. He had to have been the worst quarterback to ever start in a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, if they had a, if they had a quarterback that was even like halfway decent, they probably win. Oh yeah, but it's, yeah. it's they had Rex Grossman. It's just Old oh, Rex. that's that's the Bears. Uh, like one of my closest friends is a huge Bears fan. He's every day just complains about how like uh, about how the about how the McCaskies have run the franchise to, to, to the ground. Um, they keep making joke hires. Dude, Rex, and, Rex you know, Grossman is and, like so bad. Rex Grossman is like just the embodiment of like your mom telling you you can grow up to do whatever you want and you just believe it. pretty him. much yeah <laughs> he was yeah, just but, so but, bad yeah <laughs> it's like he yeah, just wakes but, up he's the starting quarterback in the super bowl it's like record scratch you're probably wondering how i got here as <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly free. <laughs> yeah yeah uh record scratch but um but you know i, I do feel bad for various fans because you know they a lot of various fans i talked to just resigned to the Bears just being in mediocre purgatory forever, and it's like you know they, if the Bears deserve better, you know. Yeah. Um. I, I know. I know. JJ is a Packers fan, so he disagrees. But you know, I mean, 
but and so um although i will say that i uh uh i, I am a justin fields fan i want the to draft him but i, I i'm thrilled with lance but i i feel bad for fields that, he, that he's probably gonna languish in chicago dude he got i only saw a couple bears games last year but i thought i thought they were gonna get, get that kid killed man i mean he was getting yeah. lit up i mean they like they, their o-line was just a revolving door man like he, yeah. he I, I saw him take some just awful hits. I'm like, dude, that is gonna be like a Tim Couch kind of thing. Like he, like if they don't start protecting him, holy crap! Like he's gonna be out yeah. of the league in two years. You know, like it's yeah. Just, I mean, I can't fuck it up. Andrew Luck too. Oh yeah, I mean, he could have been an all-time great. It, I, I think if Andrew Luck had had adequate protection, he he would have had like a Joe Montana career. Oh yeah, man. Like, like he was that good. Yeah, dude. I mean, they moved on from Peyton Manning because he was so yeah. good. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? It's crazy. So we should probably talk some politics. Yeah. Un- unfortunately. Unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there there is some good news. We'll start with some, I mean, good news and bad news. The Democrats doing evil things. Um, I, I, I hate classifying that as it's good news politically for Republicans. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll say that. I, I don't I wouldn't classify it as necessarily good. But let's talk about uh, America's governor. Uh, Ron DeSantis. Man, I don't think, mm. Aaron, I, I can't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's been a more successful Republican governor, like, in our lifetime. I mean, the, the guy is crushing it. I mean, he signs the, the anti-grooming yeah. bill this week, and the entire Democratic Party is doubling down on teaching five-year-olds about gay sex. Gay, gay sex for five-year-olds. I mean, that, like, Ron DeSantis, like, I don't know if it's a Jedi mind trick or what, but, like, he's forced the entire Democratic Party to adopt gay sex for five-year-olds as their, like, official party platform. So, I mean, one, this guy is not just talking the talk, he's walking the walk. Also, he's just trapping the Dems into these awful, immoral, wicked, <laughs> defending these awful, wicked things. I mean, it's like, this this dude is is a very talented, very, he might be the most talented politician we have on the right right now. And also the most unifying, because I, you know, for as long as I've been involved in politics you know these republican presidential primaries are just brutal because you know the you know the conservative movement is divided against each other and and so you have debates over like cruz versus rubio and then you end up getting trump or like back in 2012 you know there was a lot of split over like santorum or newt gingrich and then romney ends up winning and becoming a terrible candidate but um but DeSantis is the one person i've seen that actually that all these different factions on the right whether it's the nationalist populist crowd you know, the more breaking conservative crowd or the or like, you know, the more rhino more establishment crowd, et cetera, like they all like Ron DeSantis. And that's just because I, I guess it's because it, it comes down to to the saying that, you know, good good policy breeds good politics. Um now as it pertains to the bill, I think I, I your list your your audience probably already knows this, but but the bill does not say he can't say the word gay what it says is <laughs> what it says is, is, is you cannot teach about about sexual uh you, 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 you can't teach about matters of sex to people to um k through three kids right k, yeah k through three it's not even yeah, to k, kids. K, 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 yeah 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 k through three you yeah. know which is which is like i think that's just common sense like duh you know they're too young to to be learning about about this kind of stuff at that age you know, but then the course of the course of Dems, they, you know, they have their spin, and they overplay their hand. 
You know, it, it's kind of like there, there, there's a viral clip going around of a teacher on MSNBC. Uh, he's saying, you know, I'm afraid I won't be able to talk about, you know, the weekend trips I, I take with my partner. Um, and <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like, well, like, why are you talking about this to your kids anyway? Like, it's you know, it's not... And that, that guy was a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, so, it's, so it's like, you should be talking about that stuff anyway, regardless of if you're gay or straight, it's like, that's not something you should be talking about with, with kindergartners. Like, come on. Dude, I went um, to, I'm, I'm in an extraordinarily liberal city. And I mean, you grew up obviously in the Bay Area. I mean, extraordinarily yeah. liberal, but it's like, and I, I went to these left wing schools Dude, I don't remember. I mean, you and I aren't that old. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, like, I don't, I, I can't remember a teacher, like, talking about their sex life or their personal life with us when we were kids. Like, when the heck did this, who are these people, man? <laughs> like, yeah. t- teachers <laughs> who want to, to teach sex to K through three children should legitimately, they, I mean, they should, they're, they're like pedophiles. I mean, they, these are like, yeah. these people should be thrown in prison. I mean, it's like, I how how is the left defending this? Defending absolute degeneracy and and perversion. It's like who I I I can't I I physically can't put myself in a position to relate to a kind of person that would want to teach sex to a five year old. I mean, dude, K through three. That's that's age five through nine. I mean, who like do you were you ever taught like sex in second grade? Or no. It's like this <laughs> no. this doesn't happen, man. This has to be some kind of recent development. It ha- yeah, it is. I mean, it's kind of the left showing who they really are, right? That that they are degenerates. That they that they are just degenerate perverts. Um, you know, and and I mean, they it's, it's it should be kind of obvious from watching, you know, people defend Bill Clinton and Ted Kennedy, and you know, and, and the Hollywood all this the Me Too scandals in Hollywood. Um, that's like this is who this is who the left is. Like they're perverts, you know. But if but and now now it's just coming it's coming out front and center. Um, the problem is is that when the left runs the culture and the media, you know, people, you know, the average person is convinced that like Florida is like, you know, cracking down on gay people, which is not the case. Um, and, and, and so, and so that's where, and I think that like, you know, certainly the left, as those of who they are, like, it does, um, I think it does have an effect on on swing voters because they see the insanity, but you know, not, but there are undoubtedly some people who are going to buy the spend, you know, a hook, line, and sinker. And so, you know, that's the rest of the right, you know, did a better job of sort of, um, you know, pushing back uh, against the left spin. And so certainly, you know, DeSantis's team has done a good job with that. Um, but, like, is, is that enough to really puncture through the the left's monopoly on the, on the media and the culture? I'm not sure. I, I hope I hope it is. Yeah, definitely. And you made a great point earlier, and you said that DeSantis is really uniting the political right. I mean, that's absolutely correct. And I mean, because I mean, you know me, I'm a libertarian, but I have people from, you know, moderate, you know, Republicans, conservatives, libertarians. I have anarchists on the show. I have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just literally the entire the entire spectrum of the political right is represented in the guests that come on the show. But like, dude, you know. A couple guys I had on the podcast, I think last month. Man, I had um, Jim Garrity on from National Review, and he was praising Ron DeSantis. I had Clint Russell, who's an anarchist, on the show. He was mm. praising Ron DeSantis. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. Like, you've got an anarch, an anarchist, and you have the senior political correspondent for National Review, 
on the same page regarding a politician. You're like, dude. That's just look, amazing. Like, that is, if this guy needs to run for president, he needs to be the nominee because it's like, man, how, I, I can't think of, I can't think, not even Reagan, nobody. I mean, there, I, I can't think of anybody who's gotten this much praise from this large, this this quote-unquote big tent on the right. You know what I mean? Like, there right. were, uh-huh. Like there were, uh, the non-interventionists and stuff like that didn't like Reagan. Obviously, Reagan, you know, spent a lot of money, so like the libertarians didn't like Reagan. But like, I, I it's everybody is <laughs> is on board with DeSantis, man. Like I, I haven't seen anything like this ever. I don't think. And like the GOP, especially with this anti-grooming stuff, they need to go all in, man. Like you see Ron DeSantis writing the blueprint for Republican governance. Go all in on anti-grooming legislation. Like every Republican-led legislature needs to pass a bill like this. Every Republican governor needs to sign it first because we need to save children from the left's sure. grooming. <laughs> you know, obviously. Yeah. And, and second, because, dude, when the left, when the Dems tell you who they are, believe them. I mean, they're they're. We can use the fact that the Democrats are a bunch of depraved groomers to beat that wretched political party into the ground, man. I mean, they they're giving us maybe the greatest political gift we've ever seen. I mean, short yeah. of like, well, you know, a party like just, you know, leading us into a depression or something like that. Like, this is a political gift, man. They're defending pedophilia. My, my goodness, GOP. Yeah. I, I really hope that these guys are paying attention and are taking notes and can follow in DeSantis' footsteps. Yeah, I, I feel like Lynn Youngkin, like, I, I think he basically used the DeSantis model to win uh, the election in Virginia. And I think as a governor, from what I can tell so far, he seems to also be following the DeSantis model. You know, yeah. it's in terms of like banning critical race theory, you know, and, and basically and banning and banning mask mandates from schools. Uh, I mean, this so I guess Bill Nyukin wasn't really known as like a DeSantis type figure, at least not at first. I, I think he was, was known as a little bit more of a moderate, but you know, but his campaign changed once he started, you know, going after critical race theory, and so so I guess we hope that the Republican Party is at least paying attention. To the to this stuff, um, you know, all this comes down to twenty twenty four. It's gonna come down to whether you know whether or not Trump runs again, and you know if, if DeSantis has sort of surpassed Trump in the minds of you know Republican voters as the guy for the party, you know, and and the polls that we have seen so far show the Trump ahead uh, of DeSantis. But I mean, it, it's still, I mean, it, it's, I mean, we're we're still like a year away at least from like, you know, from from people announcing their candidacies. Um, so, and then, uh, and of course, two years away from 2024. So, you know, I mean, that's an eternity in politics, especially yeah. with how things have gone, you know, in the first year of Bi- the Biden presidency. I mean, yeah, so, thanks, thanks for reminding me how much Biden we have left, by the way. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome, Brady. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, this is like months ago. This, I think this might have been like November. I think it was last year. So Biden was only in office for like, you know. 10 yeah. months or something. I, I remember I had my friend Chloe Anagnos on the show and she was like, we're talking about all the damage Biden has, has done at the Afghanistan pullout, everything. She's like, mm-hmm. hey, she, and Biden's only been president for two years. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's only been two years. And then like 15 minutes later, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it hasn't even been <laughs> a year. That's even been a year. Yeah, crap. exactly. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But man, like with this anti-grooming bill, man, and that's one, that is how we need to message this thing. I mean, because that's what yeah, I means. agree. Um, I agree. You think black and Hispanic parents want gay sex taught to their five-year-olds? I mean, I, 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 I don't, mean, many, I don't think not. Yeah. How many African American and Hispanic parents do you know? Because I know a whole bunch of them, and I, uh, I, I, I know enough to know that there's a lot of 
there's a lot of black folks who are Baptists, and there's a whole lot of Hispanics who are Catholics, and uh, that not I don't think those parents are cool with the gay sex talk for their for their five year olds. Okay, like I really yeah. do think that, um, man, that the Democrats are marching right into a wood chipper, and that we should march those pedophile teachers into a physical wood chipper. Um, but yeah, man, the, the media this week too—they are freaking out over those. I think it was an NBC poll, right? That that showed Trump up over Biden, um, and, and Kamala, like, yeah, like up like double digits over over Harris, yeah, and. Uh, like th- that's cool and all, I get it, but like my mind immediately goes to like, holy crap! If Trump is up th- this much over Biden, imagine what DeSantis would do to that that old man. I mean, like DeSantis could win forty states, and yeah, not... which would be unheard of in this day and age, given how like part, how divided everyone is. You know, because you have all these these states that are just assumed to be blue automatically. So for being a forty state win would be. You know that would be, that would be a lot of epic proportions in this day and age for sure. And DeSantis could do it. Uh, you know, we're right that he is a nominee, which of course is not a sure thing since it's probably going to be between him and Trump. And I, you know, I read some stuff like DeSantis might not even run if Trump runs. So he, pro- he probably won't. Yeah, I, I don't think many people will. Yeah, I think they'll kind of just clear the field. But like, in, yeah, maybe. The the thing is about Trump, and like, I know I've been really rough on Trump the last several months, but you know. I, I don't, you know, for obviously, uh, probably the majority of of this audience wants Trump to to run again. There's a lot of Trump fans that that tune in. And that, that's fine. I'm not saying that Trump would lose. He might not lose. I mean, he might, you know, beat Biden in a rematch or beat Kamala Harris. I think Harris would be easier. But I, I'm not saying Trump would lose. But he's not. Like I just want, man. After 2016, after 2020. Dude, can we just have an easy one? Can we have like a stress-free, <laughs> like 1984 Reagan-style blowout? You know what I mean? Because like Trump, because of who Trump is, he cannot, like, he will not lose or win big. Like he's not, like he's he's a one point for or against kind of guy, man. Like he's gonna win by a point or he's gonna lose by a point. Like he's so polarizing that he just, like, he will galvanize the base, but he's gonna bring out a heck of a lot of Democrats. And it's like it's gonna be a nail biter, man. We're not gonna find out to the next day, you know. We're like five yeah. a.m. Eastern time, you know. Your boy, you know. I, I have to get up and do the podcast on a Wednesday morning. I'd like to get a good night's sleep. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. Can't we just have Trump not run, and can we just clobber these people with a a DeSantis sledgehammer? Can we just win by twelve points? Like that would just be like after these nail biters, man. It's like can't we just have an easy one? Like this is. We deserve it, don't we, Eric? I feel like we deserve it after everything we've been through. Don't we? I mean, I, I mean, yeah. Like it's, I, I mean, you would think that given the bloodbath that's coming to the Dems in the midterms, that yeah, like it, how blow by his approval ratings are. Yeah, I, I mean, you would think that a Republican blowout, you know, both elections would would be a fait accompli. But yeah, I, I mean, that, that's sort of the, the that's sort of you know the double edged sword with Trump, right? It's like he's so popular and beloved within, you know, within it's in the Republican Party. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, it, it's like, you know, his personality is such where, you know, he drives a lot of people away, away because of how he talks and certainly his tweets during the campaign, the campaign didn't help either. Uh, of course, this, this time around, he's been, this is bad from Twitter, you know, he, he can't, you know, he's not going to shoot himself in the foot as much. So at least he's got that going for him. But um, I think if he, I think if he runs, they'll let him go back on Twitter and stuff. Maybe. 
Because, I mean, like... Who knows, though? He'd win. If he's still banned from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, he'd win. Yeah, I agree. Because he wouldn't be able to, like, piss people off <laughs> as easily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, being banned from the internet is, like, a political gift to Donald Trump. I think that Zuckerberg and all those guys would, would get wise and let him back on. I mean, they might, but but they also might not, you know? It's, uh... uh I mean, these... I mean, these big, these big tech oligarchs like ruling the platforms with, with an iron fist. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to see them just relenting and letting Trump back on a- after they sort of showed, like, after, after, they, after they flexed their muscles, so to speak. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so I don't know. Like, I, 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 I could see him still being, I could still see him being off Twitter and Facebook where, where he's running going to be the nominee. Maybe. And maybe. We'll see how smart the big tech guys are. If they're smart, they'd let him back on. If they just yeah. want power and if they're just vindictive, then they won't. Could go either yeah. way. Could go either way. Yeah. I'd say it's a coin flip. But so the wall-to-wall coverage, um, I mean, we can talk some foreign policy here. Um, the wall-to-wall co- coverage of the Russia-Ukraine war um, has really exposed how little Americans care about what is happening in the Middle East, man. And it's not like we didn't already know that to begin with. We have a couple decades of, of solid evidence um, to, to prove that to begin with. But And I'm not saying the press should ignore what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's a tragedy, it, obviously— Pray for peace in Ukraine. Yeah. Pray for the families of the fallen on on both sides. You know what I mean? Like freaking the 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 Russians have already lost like what thirty thousand kids. You know what I mean? It's like and those yeah. are constrict conscripted soldiers too. They have a draft. They don't they don't want to be there. Right. But um, I, I'm not saying that the the press shouldn't be covering it, but it just really shows you what journalists care about and what they don't. Um, I mean, you cover Israel quite a bit, obviously, and 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 there's been a series of terrorist attacks this week. Um, I haven't seen it mentioned in, in the corporate press, I mean, at, at all. I mean, literally only you and, and a handful of other guys on the right are the only people who have even mentioned what's going on. So so fill us in. Yeah, so the, there have been three terror attacks in Israel in the span of a week. There was one uh, at a shopping mall in Beersheba, uh, which I think had like four, that was like four people dead in that one. Um, and then there was another terror attack in Hadera. I think two people died. And then yesterday, there was a terror attack in B'nai Brock, which is a heavily Orthodox community in Tel Aviv. And five five people dead, including um, an Arab-Israeli police officer who actually shot and killed the terrorists. So in the first two terror attacks, the the the, the terrorists were were uh, were ISIS members slash supporters. Um, and the one yesterday was a Palestinian uh, he was in the, from the West Bank, and he was working, apparently working illegally at an Israeli construction site. And it, what some people are, it's it's starting to harken back a little bit um, in terms of how this all feels to, to the Second Intifada 20 years ago, um, where basically it seemed like every every other day there was a Palestinian terror attack happening in Israel, whether it was like a bombing at a bus or a cafe, a pizza place. Um, just like it, it, it's just like basically there was a risk just even going outside if you live in Israel during the time of the Second Intifada, and that happened after the after the Camp David peace talks fell through, and it turned out Yasser Arafat, uh, who who was basically the godfather not just Palestinian terrorism but modern day Islamic terrorism in general, had pre-planned Second Intifada all along. It feels like that again. Um, only this it's, time it's not it's gonna just. Get that, do you think it's going to get that bad? It could. Yeah, it, 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 it could. You know, it's uh, it's hard to pinpoint a particular cause of this. But eventually what makes this one particularly 
chilling. It's like it's not just Palestinian terrorism. We're not looking at ISIS terrorism. Is is fueling this? as an Israel, I mean, and you know, ISIS was gone under Trump, and now under Biden, they they're making a comeback, uh, which which we scary just to everyone. Um, and so, I think one thing I noticed for, for, from from someone pointing out on, on Twitter is that around the time around the time of Purim slash Ramadan every year that the um, the the Israeli government seals off a particular part of, of the, the the of the wall um that that's for the border between israel and the palestinians in the west bank uh at a risk of terror attacks every year and this year they were like eh, it's it, it's stable we've got nothing to worry about um and you know after that decision all of a sudden these terror attacks start happening and you know what granted the one yesterday you know the guy was working illegally for a construction site so I mean, it's hard to maybe sitting off the wall wouldn't wouldn't have caused you know wouldn't change that, but it, it does kind of make you wonder, like you know, how, how much of this is being driven by that decision to not seal off that part of the wall. And the second intifada, the one of the things that led to sort of the end of it was the construction of of of, the, of that security barrier slash wall along the West Bank. So I mean, if there's if there's one takeaway from all this, it's that. It's that you know walls work. You know, yeah. a, a, a border security works. Imagine that. Uh, imagine that. Um, and as far as lack of coverage, I mean, it, it goes back to. I think we talked about this before on your on your show, but, um, you know, the media generally only cares about dead Jews when, when they can further the narrative, of yeah. that that when the right a, are a bunch of evil white supremacist yeah. bigots. Of course, that doesn't in Israel that that they they can't make that narrative because. You know the perpetrators more often than not are are Palestinian Islamic terrorists. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's not just the media doesn't care anyway. And when you have Ukraine, the Russia-Ukraine war going on, then they're they're naturally more focused on that because because I mean that's that's everyone's focused on, on right now, and you know the media just can't be bothered to care about dead Jews when it doesn't fit their political narrative. Yeah, not a lot of uh, Star of David profile pictures on Twitter from journalists I've noticed. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, man. And when talking, because I'm not a foreign policy expert, I'm not an expert on war. I don't have reporters on the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in all these places, so it's like my mind just goes to the media and how, how, just culturally and in the press how it's covered, and it's like, man, it just pisses me off. It's like and I hate to. It's it's not to take anything away from the the crimes against humanity happening in Ukraine. But it's like, man, <laughs> it's like the fact that there's three terrorist attacks in Israel targeting civilians, not military targets or anything. Yeah. Um. In in the in the span of a week, and and nobody even mentions it. And I mean, shoot, man. I mean, the worst humanitarian crisis on earth right now is in Yemen. Um. It, yeah. At least tens of thousands, uh, more than likely, well over. 100,000 civilians, women and children, have been killed by the Saudis and nobody cares. There's something something like, and they're, they're blockading the entire country, something like 10 to 20 million Yemenis are in danger of starvation this year. Yeah, and nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, ter- terrorists murdering Israeli civilians, nothing. You know, at least they have that Ukraine flag in their profile pictures, though. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's it's just tough, man. It's tough to take the, the media seriously. It really does seem like, it's uh, they just care about the ratings. I mean, you know, two you know, a war between two large 
Eastern European countries is going to get a lot more clicks than, um, you know, terrorist attacks in Israel or a genocide in Yemen. You know what I mean? And yeah. It's just like, uh, I mean, the, the Yemen stuff yeah. just drives me up the wall, too, because this war between um, the Houthis and the Saudis started in, what, is like 2015? And it's been like... Yeah. And to, to explain, just to for the audience, because you know, I probably haven't talked about Yemen as much as I should, it's like the, there's a, the Houthis are funded by terrorists in Iran, and they've you know attacked uh, civilians in Saudi Arabia. So like so imagine with these terrorist attacks in Israel, right? That's like if these attacks happened and Israel responded by carpet bombing Damascus <laughs> or or Tehran or something. I mean, just li- just dropping every bomb they had on civilian areas. Yeah, that's how the Saudis responded, and like it hasn't even nothing. I mean, there's nothing in the media. It's like I just. It's it's tough, man. It's it's tough to take our journalist class seriously, even on on things like war, when they just pick and choose what to cover and what not to. I mean, it's it's absolutely shameful. These people should be ashamed it, of themselves. It is well, and also we talk about Iran. It's like we're like Iran's on the verge of getting a nuke, and you know, and right now the Biden administration's on the verge of another like Iran deal that's going to be worse than the previous one. Well, it's and worse than that. It's that, worse than that because we're not even negotiating with the Iranians. The Ru- negotiating with the, the negotiating with the Russians. The Russians are negotiating. The Russians, no, notorious allies of the West, Russia, is nego- negotiating with the Iranians on our behalf. Like it doesn't even make sense. Right, and Russia, you know, right now, which is of course in the process of slaughtering Ukrainians, like they're they are our peace partners in, in this Iran nuclear deal. It, it's just it's a joke, you know. I mean, it's it's like it's like the Biden administration doesn't care about any of this stuff. They they just want. You know, I just want to say, you know, I got the agreement with with Iran. I I I achieved peace. You know, like you kind of like that 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 SpongeBob meme where it shows the city destroyed and SpongeBob's like, we did it, Patch. We saved the city. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's that's the Biden administration's foreign policy right there, in a nutshell. Um, and so, but yeah, of course, of course, of course, the media hasn't given much hasn't given much attention to what's been happening with the Iran nuclear deal. And once, and I'm sure it's a matter of time before before that deal is reached. You know, I'm sure the media will portray it as a victory for Biden, even though it's a joke. And 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 really, the, the implications of it are really quite chilling because Iran is close to getting a nuke, and any deal that's that that's gonna be reached will just help them accelerate that, accelerate toward that, and also spend more money on their terror activity in the Middle East, which means the more terror, more people will die. And if Iran gets a nuke, then you know, then all hell breaks loose because, firstly, Iran, being the world's largest state sponsor of terror, you know, they cannot provide safe haven to Hamas and Hezbollah, etc. I mean, imagine if the Taliban had nukes after 9/11, how, how tough that would, that would have made things for us to try and go after Al Qaeda. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's the same sort of analogy of what with Iran they have a nuke. And of course, Iran they don't. I mean, they they are I mean, they are Islamic extremists in that government like they don't care about life you know it's 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 like they're they they embrace the mantra of jihad just like you know just like just like al-qaeda and isis do it's it's just uh it just shows itself differently because they're shia and al-qaeda and isis are sunni it's just Um, the it's just the government by the way, too. it is it's a government. Like, yeah, no, it the, is a government. The Iranian, yeah, they, they, the Iranian people aren't behind any of this. It's like the exact opposite. No, it's like you know, I, they, yeah, we love the Saudi government, but the, their people hate us, and you know, we hate the Iranian government, and their people love us. You know, they want to be you know westernized. Oh and, yeah, no, I, 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 there are a lot of there are a lot of Iranians, a lot of Persians who 
are very much opposed to, to, to what the government is doing. And there are a lot of brave freedom fighters who, you know, both in the U.S. and within Iran that, that are they're working to try and overthrow the, 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 uh, the, the regime. So, you know, and that, 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 that course should be lauded. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, is that if you want to get a nuke, you know, there's there is really no telling the kind of consequences that that will have upon the world at large, not, not just for Israel. Because, like, Iran has been building inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles for quite some time now. And you don't need those to reach Israel. But you do need them to reach us in the United States. I don't think... I mean, I don't want Iran to get a nuke. We should do whatever we have to do to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Not, not whatever, you know, short of war. But um, I, I don't think they'd be stupid enough to drop a bomb. But, like, like you said, it's how do you even stop... I mean, like if, if if the Iranian government has a nuke, I mean, your options in, in limiting their terrorist funding and, and operations is basically nil at that point. I mean, the same, same yeah. thing with Putin, how we can't do anything. Not that I would endorse involving ourselves in, in this war regardless, but like, you know, your options are very limited in terms of helping the Ukrainian government when Putin has 8,000 nukes. Um, by, by the way, on the topic of the press ignoring the Middle East, I forgot to even mention that, what, nine months later, there's still several hundred American citizens being held, held hostage in Afghanistan? I mean, that's just, like, yeah, gone. I mean, they're, they're still there. They're trying to get out. They can't. And that's it. I guess screw them. I mean, I mean, it's like, my goodness. If, 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 you, if you claim to call yourself a journalist and there's hundreds of American citizens trapped in a, in a, a failed state and being held hostage by terrorists— I mean, if you call yourself a, a journalist who, who covers foreign policy, my goodness, wouldn't that be the only thing you've been talking about since last August? It's like, it's absolutely yeah. shameful. It, it, it is shameful. It, it, I mean, again, it just came down to, I mean, at the end of the day, Afghanistan, I think, was really a turning point for how the public viewed Biden. Because, you know, I think Biden won in large part, you know, setting aside Trump's foibles, you know, Biden had the, has this aura of being an, an empathetic dude. But that aura went away. After Afghanistan, because all these innocent people have been, you know, have been dying, and you know, people left behind. As he said, Biden just can't be bothered with, with any of it. Yeah. Um. It's not the media because they're they're in Biden's pocket. They you know want to help him out, and so, you know, they're more they they don't they're more more happy to move on to the next sort of shiny object, and keep away the heat from Biden. And it is shameful because they are putting politics above. You know, like actual, you know, uh, 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 of actually helping people, but that, that that's our media for you. You know, uh, they they are they are political ideologues, and I mean, there's a reason why media distrust is at all time highs. One more thing on our illustrious media, Aaron. Before I let you go, yeah, I just have to read. I didn't read the article, just the headline because it's wonderful. It's just a wonderful yeah. headline. I just have to read this headline. If for anybody missed it, the New York Times this morning, quote. Jada Pinkett Smith shouldn't have to take a joke, and neither should you. The New York Times. Journalism against comedy. Amazing. They're just saying, like, yeah. they just came on and said, no more jokes. No more jokes, Aaron. Jokes should not be allowed in this country. Incredible. Yeah, just, you know, Democrats run with it. I, I <laughs> Come on, New York Times. Just bankrupt yourself. Just go against the industry of comedy. Go against the entire industry of making people laugh. I encourage it. Let's yeah, let's I mean, My to, to, to the left, words are violence. And I mean, and, and the fact that, that when you look at 
so-called comedians like Trevor Noah, Samantha B, Stephen Colbert. I, I mean, Ben Shapiro likes to say that that they're all like in a running gum battle for the least funny comedian. You know, I mean, comedy for, for the life, comedy has been dead for quite some time. You know, because comedy has just turned to lectures about wokeism, how they're better than you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's it, and so and, and so and, and so I mean that, that that's how you get headlines like that for the New York Times. You know, that's you know the the left has lost all sense all sense of humor. If they I ever hope, had anything to begin with, <laughs> I hope some crazy leftist gets offended by a Joe Rogan joke and tries to run up and slap him and just gets their Dude, head just gets their head kicked into the fifth row. <laughs> Joe Rogan would just destroy that that, that, that person. <laughs> just a spinning back kick to the liver. Just put, Yeah. Like gosh, man. Oh man. Aaron, my brother, thanks for doing this. We'll do it again soon. Where can everybody uh follow you online, keep in touch and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can follow me at at Family's Banter, right for the Jewish Journal. Have stuff up there every day. You know, give give me a follow. Everybody follow Aaron. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.